You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Cardinal outfield kind of bunched up towards center. Here's the pitch. Curveball is a swing at a high drive into deep left center. Going back, full holes. He's still going back, way back, and this ball is gone. Rich Aurelia with another home run. That was the second of two Rich Aurelia home runs in game two of the 2002 NLCS. He's forever locked in as a special giant, hitting right in front of Barry Bonds and Jeff Kent. But believe it or not, when Dusty Baker initially told him he was moving to second in the order, Aurelia wanted no part of it. Those stories and more as we go inside Rich Aurelia's giant moments now. Now, This is Inside Giant Moments, presented by Oracle. Our franchise has countless memorable, iconic moments. Join Mark Willard as he connects with our former players who lived these moments to relive the emotions, the stories, and the joy. Rich Aurelia joins us on the Inside Giant Moments podcast. Rich, this one is going to be a whole lot of fun. I've been uh, I've been looking forward to this. Thank you for doing it. Yeah, no problem, Mark. It's uh, happy to be on here with you. Yeah, this is uh, this is fun, man. I, I, you know, a lot of memories that uh, that I'm sure you have and that you created for Giants fans through the years. So uh, let's dive right in. You know, you were you were drafted by Texas, but acquired by the Giants before you even make the big. So I know it, it, you very much had a homegrown feel for Giants fans, uh, and your debut was interesting. You come up in '95. Uh, only had 19 at-bats, but you got nine hits, including two home runs and three doubles. So it's like, bang, welcome to the majors. How would you pull that off? Uh, you know, it, it was just that whole year was interesting because, um, you know, if I could take it back to getting traded to the Giants, I mean, I got traded during the strike uh, in 94. So I was with Texas, and I made it as high as double-A. Didn't have a great year. Um, and then ended up getting traded. I want to say it was like two days before Christmas. Uh, to the Giants, and the strike was still going on. So I ended up going to spring training uh, in Arizona and, you know, going through the whole gamut of trying to get ready to play. And we didn't know, as a minor leader at that time, you don't know what's going on. I wasn't part of the 40-man roster. You know, you're just showing up. Um, And I ended up going back to double-A with the Giants double-A team, who was in the same league as my Texas double-A team, and spent half the year there, had a great half year, and then got called up to Phoenix and triple-A, uh, uh, for the second half of the year. And then, you know, I remember getting called in the last day after the last game, and, you know, Jimmy Davenport was my manager down there. And he, uh, you know, and I was like, every kid just dreams of that moment. And it's funny because you dream of that moment your whole life, and now I'm going back trying to remember it, and it's like a blur. You know, you're so <laughs> – your adrenaline is pumping, and you're hearing that, but – uh. So I get to the big leagues, and uh, I think my first appearance actually came in as a defensive replacement in a game at Candlestick, one of the first two days. And uh, I'm glad that's how I got my first introduction into a big league game in the field and not at the plate. You know, you just got your butterflies and your nerves going around. But so you just fast forward. I had four pinch hit at-bats, and my first at-bat was in St. Louis at Old Bush Stadium. And I hit a bullet up the middle that shortstop, second baseman, dove, flipped it to second, threw to first, and double play. And that was my introduction to 
the big leagues as a hitter, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be tough. I can't even get a ball through the turf. Um, so I went 0 for 4, I think, as a pinch hitter. And then we went to Colorado the last four games of the season. And this was the year that Colorado made their first uh, postseason appearance. So you go to Colorado, I mean, they had 60,000 people there every night looking to clinch. They had a magic number, I think, at two. And I showed up and didn't think I was going to play and you know, saw my name in the lineup and was pretty pretty pumped about that. First big league start and went out, went four for five with my first hit, my first homer, my first double, first RBI. And I was on cloud nine, man. I was like, oh, this is awesome. You know, thanks for making the opportunity. I'm like, there's no way I'm playing tomorrow because these guys are still playing for a, a division or a wild card and uh like you know not gonna lie went out and had a pretty good time that night uh celebrating my <laughs> celebrating my uh my big night and show up the next day yeah feeling okay not great but uh back in the lineup again and uh yeah i ended up starting the last four games and i think in those four games i had all those nine hits i was probably like nine for 15 with a couple homers and you know so that was my introduction into the big leagues and you know it, it honestly couldn't have gone any smoother for me those few weeks in september that i got called up i think i'd like to hear a little bit more about uh, about that evening after the uh, the four for five <laughs> who 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 are we celebrating with where did we go <laughs> you know what it's funny actually because at the time um glenn kuyper was on that trip just hanging out, like went on the trip, you know, I don't know, hang out with his brothers or something, and I went out with Glenn Kuyper. And that was, uh, you know, we were friends <laughs> to this day. So, uh, you know, I know he works on the other side now for the green and gold, but uh, we're still friends to this day, which was a, it was a good time. Very nice. And then I, I wonder, as things continue, and, and, and obviously you're, you're going to be on the roster, what's the learning curve like? You know, in 96, you become a, a regular player for the most part. The team has its struggles, but, but what, what are you experiencing that year? Well, you know, experiencing uh, actually the level of scouting and intelligence that goes through the major leagues. And, it, and we're talking now years ago where – you know, it was just basically scouts went to games and scouted them live and would pick your weaknesses as a hitter. And, you know, I think I experienced that that year. I did not have a great year. I had some good moments. Um, but I think the level of attention that's put on, you know, with the scouts and scouting reports and when you have your meetings before a series, how are you going to pitch this guy? What can he hit? What can he hit? I think that was a, a really – you know, unique learning experience for me because these guys, I mean, they knew your weakness like after playing one series and, you know, they just you go from, they go from there and then until you show that you can adjust, they're just going to keep exposing that weakness and that's kind of what I went through um, in 96. I also had a uh, a pretty pretty bad injury in 96 that I kind of like played through for a couple, the last couple months of the year. I had a stress fracture in one of my vertebrae that uh, wasn't really showing up on any kind of MRI or x-ray or anything. And I kept playing through it. And, and I remember it's probably a week left to go in the season. And I slid into home a candlestick on somebody got a base hit and I was scoring and I slid into home and I went to get up and I like couldn't get up. I just, I was in so much pain. And so I ended up basically that was kind of how my season ended going on the DL 
Uh, and that's the last thing you want to do as a young player trying to make a name for yourself is, you know, you're like, wow, it's the end of my first year, got my feet wet, learned a lot, and now i got to end the year on the DL as a young player. Uh, wasn't wasn't my uh, highest moment, but uh, thankfully we caught in time and everything was good to go to next year. Yeah, I mean, uh, still some uh, some stop-start injuries a little bit in 97, but that's when you really start uh, to hit the ball and, and the team makes the postseason. What was that first taste of the playoffs like for, for you and the whole group? Oh, it was great. You know, that was in 97. I mean, that was the year that, you know, we traded, you know, traded a guy who really took care of me my first two years in the big leagues and Matt Williams. Um, you know, we got Jeff Kenton and, and all these other guys and JT snow came over. So, you know, I think going into that year was kind of a, you know, a big question. Um, you know, what, what were we going to be or, you know, what type of team were we going to be? And, you know, I say, you know, we go worse to first and, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge part of it. I'm a utility guy, a backup guy, but, you know, Got some big hits that year, and 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 played a played a role on that team. And just the first experience you get into the postseason, uh, you know, it's just you know, there's nothing like it. And once you get there one time, I think that's what drives players to like get back again. You know, I can only imagine like the level of of you know with some of the current guys that are still there or went through the three three championships. I mean, that's the that's the thing that you want to do is get back again. And, uh, you know, for me, the first time I, I remember we, we, we got swept in three games, but I was actually kind of excited because I was going to get to play game four because they had a lefty on the mound and I was going to play shortstop. And <laughs> unfortunately for me, we got swept in three games. So I didn't get to, I didn't get any appearances in that playoff series, but uh, just to go through that and actually, I mean, that year was awesome playing, playing games at Candlestick with close to 70,000 people in it. I mean, I never could imagine, like, an atmosphere like that with so many people, like, with, where the noise was so loud, the ground was shaking. Uh, you know, it was it was a great experience, you know, and and I think we were fortunate after that year where we pretty much had most of our guys coming back. Uh, you mentioned that before getting traded, Matt Williams took care of you for the first couple of years. What was that relationship like? Oh man, it, you know, listen, Matt, and Matty will be the first guy to tell you he's he. You got to get to know Matty to understand him a little bit. And if you just walk up and meet him, he's kind of quiet. He kind of you know looks like he may rip your head off, but <laughs> but uh, but uh, I remember, man, him and Robbie Thompson. Uh, the first road trip we took was to Chicago. Once I got called up, and I remember getting off the, the, uh, I was on, you know, at that point I was on the media bus because I was a rookie and you couldn't ride the player bus. So you were on the media bus and I got off the media bus and I, uh, I remember Maddie going, Hey, what are you doing? I'm like, no, nothing. I'm just getting my bag. And I think I'm going to go check in. And he goes, be down here in 10 minutes. We're going to dinner. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, so they, they came back down and went to dinner with some of the veteran guys, like, like him and Robbie and Kurt Manwaring. And I think uh, Mark Leiter was on the team at that point. And maybe maybe Mark Gardner, too, was there. Um, but I remember those guys, I mean, they took care of me, man. They took me to dinner. They took me to lunch every day. And all they really asked was, like, you know, hey, 
you know, when it comes your time and you're a you're a veteran guy, you know, you got to pay it forward, man. You got to do this for a, a young kid that comes up that you think can make a difference here, and you can teach him how to be a professional and how to handle himself the right way. And uh, you know, that's what they did for me, and I, I'll never forget it. I mean, I learned more about the game and how to be a professional probably eating lunch with them every day as opposed to watching them play every night. I mean, those guys were great to me. Uh, I love hearing that story. Uh, I actually wore Matt Williams' number on my high school team uh, because of growing <laughs> up as a Giants fan, but my first experience in talking to him <laughs> was exactly what you just described, where I'm like, oh, oh, he's going to bite my head off, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's, not, he's not, very, uh, not a very talkative guy, and then – but, you know, it, it's funny because you, you fast forward from there and, like, you know, you, you stay friends and as best you can with guys changing teams or whatever. And then I remember years later, I mean, we're we're playing him in, in uh, God, I think it was Pat Bell at the time, and he's with the Diamondbacks. And I think he did something. He swung a 3-0 pitch, and Dusty didn't like it. And his next at-bat, Dusty told the pitcher to throw at him. So next thing you know, we're, like, on the mound. <laughs> Everybody's ready to go at it. And I'm like, man, what are we throwing at Matty for? You know, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's funny. He's a, he's a great guy, though. And uh, I do hope at some point he gets an opportunity to, uh, to manage again in the big leagues because he's a, he's a really good baseball mind. Sticking with 97, you hit a grand slam that year against uh, another former teammate in Alan Watson. It was mm-hmm. a notable home run, the first ever grand slam in interleague play. What comes to mind there? Well, I remember that was the second interleague series uh, on the schedule in Anaheim. We had, we went to Texas to play the first actual. We actually played the first interleague game uh, against the Rangers. Um, and I remember Dusty telling me, "Hey, you're gonna you're gonna start the third game on Sunday, you know, against so and so. I can't remember who it was. I'm like, all right, cool, you know. And the next day he comes out for BP. He goes, "Hey, I, I you know, changed my mind. I said you're not you're not gonna play here." He goes, I'm saving you for saving you for the first game in Anaheim uh, against uh, against your, your your boy Waddy. And I'm like, I, at first I was kind of like, man, I, I just want to play. Like, just why can't I play Sunday? Why do I got to face Waddy? And and then Dusty and his all his all knowing self and knowledge, he goes, hey man, he goes, you you played behind Waddy last year a lot. He goes, you faced him in high school because we did. We were in the same conference in high school growing up in New York and I faced them wow. all the time and I mean not like that was going to give me any advantage at this point but <laughs> but um yeah so we get to Anaheim and I think it's first or second inning I get uh, I was hitting ninth and I get up with the bases loaded against Waddy and I hung me a slider I think right over the middle and I pulled it down the line right inside the foul pole and you know and not thinking at the time it was a big deal you know like and then after the game when you have all the media come down like hey that was the first interleague grand slam ever and i was like really (laughs) here's the 2-2 pitch aurelia hits one deep to left field and this baby is out of here a grand slam home run for rich aurelia and it's his second home run of the season and his first grand slam of his career it is four to nothing. The Wonder Reporter said, "Actually, they're like, yeah, the first one that actually counted, uh, Gary Sheffield hit one the other night, but the game got rained out, so it didn't count." Oh. And I was like, "Well, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I don't care." 
Um, so, yeah, that was kind of cool to actually have, um, you know, the Hall of, Fame, Hall of Fame people ask for the bat and everything. So that was kind of a, a really nice thing, like, at, at the beginning of my career experience. Then we go to 99, and, and, and things really start to hum on, on a personal level. And I mean, you entered that season with 19 career home runs, but you surpassed yeah. that just that year. Uh, starts a stretch of three straight 20-plus home run seasons for you. So what, what's really changing for you at that time? I think probably just my maturity level. Um, my getting more reps and seeing more pitchers and playing a little bit more. Um, and, and, and the fact that, you know, that was the first year that I actually came into camp and was told, hey, okay, this is your job now. This is your job to, to lose. And, uh, you know, I, I felt like a vote of confidence from the organization, from the staff. And, um, you know, I was hitting kind of down in the order. I think I was hitting seven. Um, but we had a pretty loaded lineup at that point. So it didn't really bother me too much because I was in a run-producing spot, hitting behind some, uh, some really good hitters. And Aurelius swings, and it's a high drive deep to left field. Going far back is Sanders at the wall. This one is gone. It's in amongst the palm trees. A home run for Aurelia. His 20th of the year. The Giants lead 4-1. to one. And Rich Aurelia becomes the fifth Giants player in 1999 to reach 20 home runs. But, yeah, I think more than anything, Mark, it was just the experience and the experience of, like, getting to a point as a hitter where, okay, well, maybe I'll give you that strike and this at-bat, but I know you're going to go back to that place the next at-bat, and I'm going to be looking for it. Um, just, just where you can, instead of being a backup or utility guy that plays once a week where you feel like you have to go in and do something good so that you get another opportunity to play, now it's a situation where, Okay, well, if I went 0 for 4 today, okay, I know I'm going to be back in there tomorrow, you know, come back and go 2 for 4 or something. So uh, I think just my maturity level kind of got a little bit better and my knowledge of the opposition and the knowledge of myself as a a player, what type of player I was, what type of hitter I was. I think that's kind of what took me to that next level. The new ballpark opens in 2000, and that was a year that was just filled with with so many different things. Um, You doubled in the very first game at the new yard off of Chanho Park. Do you remember that at bat? Oh, man. Uh, (laughs) No, I don't. I I don't because I think (laughs) Chanho, I I didn't have good numbers off him, so you think I would remember it. Um, But no, I don't remember it. I don't remember it at all. Well, you did, so that's pretty awesome. <laughs> but, Again, it's one of those I, I, things. If you tell me I did it, I'll take it. I'll take it. All right. All right. Well, we'll, we'll go with it. But I, I also think to that time, though, and I know you'll remember this, there's a lot of tension about, you know, what, like a cursed ballpark almost because it took you guys seven tries before you won a game there. What, what was yeah. that period of time like for the whole team? I mean, it was such, it, honestly, it was like, you know, it was kind of a letdown, you know? Like, we're like, man, all right. We moved down to that old dump we were in into this beautiful new ballpark, and, you know, we played a couple exhibition games there, so, like, we had a feel for it, and um, boom. And then next thing you know, you know, right out of the gate, you're 0-7 at home, and people are like, 
oh, this ballpark, yeah, they can't play here, they're not built to play here, and blah, blah, blah. Um, and it wasn't anything really crazy about it. We just got off to a bad start. And, and I remember that specifically because I think when we fast forward to the end of that season, um, I think we actually had the best home record in the National League after starting out 0-7, which is kind of weird. Um, but, you know, you get used to it. And, and listen, when you look at that ballpark when we moved into it, because I remember the year before they brought us up in the winter to take batting practice out there before there was even a field or a fence or it was just kind of laid out. And, you know, that, that ballpark was built for one person. One person in mind, the dimensions of that ballpark was built for. And I think we all know who that was because you look at that short porch and right and, you know, the big gaps in, in, in right center and left center. Um, you know, it, it took a while for us offensively as a group to really figure out, like, okay, how are we going to score here? How are we going to win here? And I think we, once we kind of embraced the idea that we were going to win with our pitching and our defense – and timely hitting. And that's what I think we ended up doing uh, to, to, you know, that first year to end up on a good note there. Uh, the very next year, you really break out. They, they, now, this is a huge year. The team is good. Uh, you did finish a couple games behind the D-backs, the team that actually mm-hmm. went on to, to win the entire thing. But uh, describe the sense of accomplishment that you're feeling right then uh, you're an all-star. You hit 37 home runs. You, you got MVP votes that year. Yeah, you know, it honestly, it it clicked from day one um, that year, and that was a year that uh, I Dusty had called me in the spring training right at the beginning and told me they were going to move me in the batting order to hit second. And uh, at first, I didn't really take to that too well because I'm like, man, I'm hitting 20 plus homers in seventh i'm driving in 80 runs a year you know it, it's it's a good spot for me and he goes yeah listen he goes you're gonna be hitting in front of barry he goes you're gonna see so many better pitches to hit hitting in front of barry and he goes i want somebody who i know can hit a fastball and he goes that's why i want you hit in second i was like he goes don't change anything just go play your game and everything will work out and i, I remember um we were playing the Bay Bridge series, the last game in San Francisco against the A's. And in the first inning, I got drilled right in the elbow. Um, and opening day was two days away. And I'm like, dude, that did not feel good. I got a big old egg on my elbow and it's purple. I'm going to be out for like, you know, at least the first series. And, you know, fortunately for me, I, I, I iced, I got treatment and they, they made me at this point in time, there was no rules on like elbow pads and stuff. Like you pretty much could do whatever you want. I think I had a, like a skateboard elbow pad. And from day one of that season, I think I went like three for five on opening day. And, um, I, it just took off from there. And even when my elbow started feeling better, I'm like, Hey, I'm leaving this elbow guard on, man. This thing's good luck. I'm not going to mess with a mess with a streak. And, um, you know, and I and I look back at that year, and you know, I think that year of my career, I don't remember going more than a game without a hit, like a game. Like I don't remember going two games in a row without a hit. And I also remember, you know, and you ask players this, you ask anybody, there's few years in your career where 
you can remember being 100% healthy for 162 games. And I was 100% healthy for 162 games that year. And I think that contributed along with moving to a different spot in the order. And, you know, I think a lot of things contributed to my success that year. And, and you know what, when you get down to it, I mean, I would have traded some of those to get to the postseason that year because, it, you know, I, I live in Arizona and I would run into a lot of the Diamondback guys after they won the World Series. And, you know, they said the only team we didn't want to face in the playoffs was you, you guys, the Giants, because they knew that we could beat, they knew we could beat Schilling and Johnson, uh, which nobody else could really do. We did it a couple of times that year. Um, but, yeah, that was the one letdown of that great individual year was the fact that we fell like a game or two short at the end of the postseason. Yeah. You know, uh, you mentioned that conversation you have with Dusty about moving in the order. I'd love to go a little deeper there. Like, what what's going on in your mind as he says that? What's your first initial reaction? My, my initial reaction is, like, what's he thinking? And he goes, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm slower than dirt. <laughs> I, I'm like, you know, I think, I mean, I could, I could probably beat Benji Molina in a race, but that I'm not stretching more than that. Um, but I'm just thinking why, why mess with something that's worked? You know, I've hit seventh for the last couple of years and I've kind of gotten comfortable down there. So I'm thinking in my mind, why, you know, why would he do this right now? Which at the time, you know, without thinking of it, it was probably a selfish way to think, you know, because I'm thinking just about myself and how it plays out for me, not thinking about how it plays out for the team. And in in the aspect of, you know, moving to the two spot, I mean, you know, I did, I got better pitches to hit and I got an extra at bat every couple of games probably because I was higher in the lineup. And, um, you know, the one, the one drawback was we didn't really have a true leadoff hitter. Um, that year, like we were mixing and matching guys and nobody with speed, you know? And, um, so it wasn't like I was hitting a lot with guys, you know, with a, with a, a base running threat on first or anything like that. But, you know, it just, you know, people always ask me for that year. They're like, Oh, you hit in front of Barry. You just got a bunch of fastballs. Right. And I'm like, no, I didn't get a bunch of fastballs. I said, I, if I go back and look at, you know, all the home runs I hit that year, I'd say half or more than half were probably on hanging breaking balls because they're just trying to, you know, get ahead of you with a breaking ball for a strike. And, you know, they don't want to walk you, so they're going to throw to you and they're going to throw you more strikes. And I think that was the difference I saw because I was getting more pitches in the zone that I could drive, not necessarily fastballs, but even breaking balls that, that made the biggest difference. Are you feeling the emotional stress that those pitchers are feeling also just, you know, you're in the batter's box and Barry's right over there. He's, he's standing out on that on deck circle. Is there, is there an emotional thing that you're seeing from the pitchers that year? Um, not, not necessarily. Uh, the first half maybe of the season, because there was no talk of him breaking any kind of record until the all-star break hit. And he was actually getting pitched to the first half of the season. And I remember the exact series where that all turned around. We were playing the Braves in Atlanta, and I think we had a three-game series, and I want to say he hit, like, six homers in the three-game series. Like, it was, it was a joke. It really was a joke. And that's when, <laughs> that's when the talk started of, 
like, oh, he's got, you know, he's going to have 40 home runs at the All-Star break or more. And uh, that's when the talk started. So the second half of the season, that's when I think the pressure was off the pitchers because all they did was walk them. I mean, the pressure was more on me hitting in front of him because the only way he got pitched to was if I was on base and yeah. there wasn't an open base and the guys hitting behind him because no joke, Mark. I mean, I, if you look, I don't know what the numbers are, but I'm guaranteeing if you look at the second half of that 2001 season, his on base percentage had to be over 500. It had to because they just walked him every time they could. And, and I remember like, I'll still tell Barry to this day when I see him, I'm like, dude, how were you telling me you were tired all the time? Because all you ever did was hit a home run and jog around the bases or they put four <laughs> fingers up and they walked you. That's all, that's all, you know, I'm like, what are you so tired for? But, um, yeah. so that was the second half of that season. I mean, you know, he, he, we go play a four game series somewhere and he'd end up being like one for two with a home run and 13 walks. And that's just how it was. So when you ask about the pressure on the pitchers, I don't think there was any pressure on any of those pitchers um, unless they had to pitch to him. Say there was a base loaded and two outs or something. You know what I mean? Um, but otherwise, yeah, they just walked him every time. I'm looking at his on-base averages for uh, for that time, not necessarily for a half of the season, but for 01, uh, 515, 02, 582, 03, 529, 04, 609. That for a four I mean, year stretch, that that's his on base average. Yeah, I mean that that's, I mean, listen, we'll never see that again. And yeah. in the sense of like when you talk about players these days, you know, if you look at that year in '01, where I really feel like the game started to change because not only did they start walking him all the time, um, there were no real holes like. It's not like your face like these days, Trout or Harper. And Mike Trout may go down as one of the best players of all time, or in top ten maybe. But yep. he's pitchable. He's pitchable. This guy was not pitchable during that stretch of time, and they would just rather walk him. Um, look what the game's become. It's become nothing but shifts. And that's where it started with Barry. And they would put everybody on that right side of the field and – you know, go ahead and try and hit it through us. And instead of hitting it through them, he hit it over everybody and over the fence so they couldn't get it. But, um, yeah, it was an interesting year, like, looking back at it historically for, like, how it changed the game a little bit, I think. What was the All-Star game experience like? It was pretty cool, man. It was, i got to say, the uh, I'm glad now they've changed the format of that home run derby because, dude, I left after the first round. It was like two hours, and we were only through like, you know, <laughs> like five hitters in the home run derby. Right. Uh, I'm like, I got family here. I got to go get some dinner. Um, but the experience all in all to just drop your stuff in the clubhouse, and you look like – I look to my right, and I'm like, oh, Mike Piazza is my locker mate. And then I look to my left, and I'm like, oh, Chipper Jones is on that side, and – um, you know, oh, look, there's Randy Johnson who tries to crush us every time we stay. You know, it was, it almost was when I walked in the clubhouse, I was kind of in awe a little bit, like just being a fan of the game. Um, but then just the festivities of it. And, and, and honestly, for me, this is when it was great because, well, it's back to that now, but it was just an exhibition. 
and everybody got to play and everybody took part in it. Um, I do wish I would have gotten a hit. Um, I grounded out twice, I think. I think one time I grounded out before they even announced me hitting on TV because like, I swung at the first pitch and I was, and I was out of there. Um, but the, the, I, I will say the last thing I have, I have two lasting memories from that all-star game. And it was uh, one, um, I was a huge Cal Ripken fan growing up and to see him hit that home run in his last all-star game was pretty awesome. I mean, I almost wanted to yeah. shake his hand going around the bases. That was pretty great. And two was uh, when Tommy Lasorda got hit with the broken bat on the foul ball down coaching third base. Like the bat went flying and Tommy went rolling back on his back. And uh, thankfully he wasn't hurt, but it was kind of a, a, a pretty funny moment, uh, especially <laughs> for for us giant guys watching Tommy roll right. around in his Dodger uniform down there. But, uh, again, it was a great experience. Um still have all my memorabilia from that all-star game. And, uh, and again, too, it was Tony Gwynn's last all-star game too. So it was yeah. a, a pretty special one to be part of. We talked about Dusty earlier. Tell me about why that relationship grew into something so special. You know, Baker was just like having another guy on the team. He was like having a 26 man. I mean, you know, we joke with him all the time about his wristbands and, everything and you know he he wanted to get out there and and play with us um and at the same time i think he earned a lot of guys respect because he actually would like talk to you about like your life off the field you know hey what'd you do on the off day yesterday you know you go to the park with your kids or did you go somewhere and you know and i think he made it more person personable um you know but but you know at the same time you knew who the boss was, and if you got called in his office, he would get on you. He'd chew you out and, you know, try and get you going again. Um, but I always I always respected Bake for the way he treated me and um, handled my situation the first few years. You know, I, I kind of was kind of told three years in a row that I was going to be the shortstop, and then they went out and got somebody, and then they went out and got somebody else, and so it was pretty stressful for me early on, but if I look back at it now, I think Dusty handled it with me the best way he possibly could. And um, I, I think, you know, once you're out of something for a while and you go back and you look at it in retrospect, like you have a different feel of it and a different vibe, especially as you get older and you become more mature in the game and as a person. And I look back now and at the time, was I happy that I had to wait three years to play every day? No. But do I understand it better now? Yeah, I totally do. And uh, I, I, I do respect him for that, and I thank him for that. And, uh, you know, I, you know, wish him nothing but the best in, in however his career ends up here. You know, I, I think uh, what you're detailing there is something that's uh, important in, in every relationship. It sounds to me like what you're saying is, is, is Dusty was not only looking – for what you guys could provide him and provide the team. It, it, it went both ways. You know, there's the story, yep. for instance, I think you've shared of, of, of how he handled it when, when you, had a, uh, you had a house or an apartment that was burglarized one time. Um, yep. and, and so this is, you know, this is, this is a guy who, who, uh, who was there for you uh, 24-7. 
Absolutely. I mean, the quick story on that was I actually, my, my, my home was robbed when I was on my honeymoon, uh, 1997. And, uh, you know, nobody really knew about it. I, you know, I kept it to myself. I was down here in Phoenix and, um, about a week later, you know, I get four huge boxes delivered to my door. Like, what is this? You know, I go and open it up and there's a note in there and it's from Dusty. He goes, Hey man, I know a lot of people that own a lot of different businesses. And I heard, what happened and I know you need some stuff around the house so here's some stuff to get you back on your feet again and this is when I only had like one year in the big leagues I wasn't you know I wasn't making great money and you know I was just getting my feet wet and to have a guy who I just had played for for just a year and a month maybe um, do that for me really really meant a lot and I think that from that point on I had the ultimate respect for him as a person not only my manager, but as a person. And I watched him do stuff like that for guys all through the years. I mean, it was one point I had my first son, and Dusty was like, hey, man, I know this guy who knows this guy who owns like this. He's a big wig at this baby food company or whatever. And I remember, like, Dusty would have all this, like, baby formula, like, sent to my front door in my locker when I'd get there for my son when he was a baby. So, like, just stuff like that, like, really, really made a, an impact on me. And, uh, you know, to this day, yeah, of course we're not as, you know, close anymore. You know, you go your separate ways after a while, but, uh, you know, we still catch up every once in a while when I see him at the ballpark or, or at an event or something like that. And it's always, always good to see him. All right. 2002, big year for the team, even though your numbers start to come back down to earth a little bit, your power surge mm-hmm. is suddenly there for the postseason. Uh, is, is, what's going on there? What, what are you feeling at the start of the playoff run? Well, start of the playoff run, I mean, for, for me, like, the start of the playoff run was September 1st because, like you said, I had not had a good year. I had uh, I battled bone chips, like, kind of the whole off season. And I think I got it working out and uh, I tried to play through it, but it just, so I, I had surgery. I want to say like late May and, you know, I came back after 15 days. I was playing full time after 15 days. And, you know, was, again, looking back, I probably came back too fast because you get to the end of the year. And I mean, I was, I was in pain still. I was tired. I was worn out. Um, but you get to September and I told myself, I said, Hey, listen, we have a chance. We have a really good team. We have a chance to do something special, get to the postseason. My season starts today, September 1st. And I think down the stretch, I think I'm, I, I want to say I hit about 390 or something like that. I hit some big homers in September and then we just get to the postseason. And then it's great because everybody starts back at zero. So like there's, there's nothing to accomplish except to win a championship in my mind when you get to the postseason it's not about your numbers it's not about setting any records it's not about how many home runs you hit it's about who's left standing after that last game and who's going to get their ring on opening day the next year and that's how i how i approached it from that from day one of that playoff uh series against atlanta till game seven against the angels and and um the experience was totally different for me than the other two times I had been to the postseason because the first time I didn't even play. And in 2000, I was just kind of establishing myself. And, you know, and then so by 02, once I'd established myself and, you know, I 
had done pretty well. I mean, that was like, I felt like that was my time to kind of, you know, step up because we knew that we knew nobody was going to pitch to Barry. So it was up to the rest of us to kind of go and do our thing and try and get us championships. Uh, and uh, you did your thing. Game four of the series against the Braves. You guys are facing elimination, and you have a night. You go three for five, a home run. You drive in four. Much of it came off the great Tom Glavin. And uh, the home run really kind of put the game away early. And I wonder what that hit did for the entire team because you know the, the organization had had a hard time getting out of the first round. And, and you yeah. were facing it again, and, and that home run – gets you you know it's going to get you to game five at least so so what's happening for the whole group on that swing yeah so uh, i'll say this going in i think what worked in our favor as a team actually going into that series was that that was the year i think glavin won the cy young so their rotation was glavin maddox and millwood i think or it was glavin millwood and maddox so we we as a team, we all hit Tom Glavinwell. We all did. So we knew if we went five games, we were going to see him twice. And the guys that we didn't hit, we were going to see Millwood twice, but we were going to see Maddox, who we nobody hit. We were going to see him once. So he was slated to go game three. So we won game one. We crushed Glavin in Atlanta. I think we won like 11-3 to three or something. Um, and then game two, I say I think we've lost to Millwood, and then we get to San Francisco and we lose to Maddox. So we're down to an elimination game, but we're facing Glavin again. And I think going into that game, we knew what we had done to him the first go-around, and, I mean, we just jumped him again. We just jumped him early. A high drive, left field, hit deep, hit way back, way back, way back. Tell it goodbye, Aurelius Homer. And uh, that was his M.O. Like, you had to get him early before he dialed in his command and he would get those strikes off the corner a little bit. And, um, so that's what we did. We attacked him early, and we got him out of there. And then, you know, of course, you, you know, then you're, then you're in game five, do or die, and we have to fly all the way back to Atlanta. Um, after a Sunday night game in San Francisco, we flew to Atlanta all night and played an 8 p.m. East Coast game. We I think we got there at like maybe nine a.m. in the morning, and uh, you know got our rest, and then came out and played. And again, that 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 game five of, of that series was probably one of the most intense, well played games I'd ever been a part of in my career. Very nice, and I'm sure again it changes everything for the organization to have that. Uh, that monkey off off the back, so to speak, and that moves you on yeah. to the St. Louis series. So what comes to mind when I say the name Woody Williams? Cardinal outfield kind of bunched up towards center. Here's the pitch. Curveball is a swing at a high drive into deep left center. Going back, pull holes. He's still going back, way back, and this ball is gone. Rich Aurelia with another home run. Bell scores and waits for Aurelia as he circles the bases. And the Giants lead three nothing. Oh, two two curveballs that were deposited <laughs> into the almost the exact same seat in left center field. <laughs> exactly. You know, it, exactly. It was. Yeah, it was funny. We you know we we beat Atlanta and we you know you you kind of 
do your little champagne thing in the clubhouse and go to St. Louis and you basically have a workout the next day because that's what the, the rules are. You have to work out. And then we played the next night. And, I mean, we jumped on them early, too, on the first game. And then game two came around. And, you know, we had known Woody Woody Williams from, you know, being with the Padres. And so we had seen him a lot. But, uh, you know, again, like I go back to saying hitting in front of Barry, you know, I got two breaking balls that I could handle and hit out of the park. I wasn't getting fastballs. I got two breaking balls. And, you know, to go out and win game two and have a two-game-to-nothing lead to go home to San Francisco was huge for us. Because now I felt like it was – I felt like that was the first time that postseason we could actually, like, take a deep breath and relax a little bit. Because it wasn't like game three was like a do-or-die game like all these other ones seem to have been. Um so to get back home and uh, have that 2 nothing lead against a really good Cardinals team was huge for us. Yeah, J.T. Snow recently told me that that, that 2 nothing lead was when you guys as a group really started to feel like, hey, uh, we're going to win this whole thing. So let, let's start with that really relaxing plane flight home. What, what was that like? Oh, it was, it was great. I mean, you know, we're, you know, you know, have a decent, decently long flight home and, um, you know, and and here's the thing. It was like, Dusty was really good in a sense with our team of like, you know, his mentality was, hey, do whatever you did last night. We won today. You know, like that was his mentality. So we didn't change anything. I mean, we went and flew back on the plane, you know. We, we you know, had a few cocktails and then we got our rest and we got to San Francisco and just went about our business. You know, we had our workout the next day and, just got ready for game three, but I, I agree. That was the first time that we actually kind of one could relax a little bit. And two, just, you know, in our mind, we're like, man, we're two games away from going to the world series. And we got three games at home. Like this can't, you know, you know, can't work out any better. We don't even want to go back to St. Louis. Let's just end this here. Um, so that, that, that's what I think to the mentality was of the team. We knew we had one, game to play with um but we needed to win two out of those three at home to just end that series so we didn't have to go back east again which is exactly what you did and if i remember correctly you're on deck when kenny lofton gets the game-winning hit in game five um Mm -hmm. so david bell comes home scores that run what are you doing in that moment i think i'm jumping as high as i've ever jumped in my life um (laughs) it's funny i actually in, in the NBC studios, they have a big, huge picture blown up of that moment. And I was like, man, I never thought I could jump that high. But uh, <laughs> I, I just remember it, it was a big blur because, like, I remember I was telling David to slide. He slid in. He got up. We hugged. Then we all ran out to, like, chase Kenny down. And, you know, that, then, of, of course, then it's like it's it's kind of a blur after that. It really is because there's so many people – out there jumping around so many people on the field and you know you you get to that ultimate goal of like playing in the world series and i'll I'll say this i can only speak for myself but i felt individually there was so much more pressure and nervousness like or butterflies like playing in those first two series than playing in the world series i mean i didn't feel any butterflies or anything during the world series at all 
but, you know, that game five in Atlanta, you know, we had to win or we're going home or, you know, the St. Louis games. I mean, those, I felt a little more, you know, pressure, a little more nervousness in those games. World Series were like, oh, we're here now. All right, let's just try and go win. And, uh, you know, so we moved on to, to play the Angels. Bell, the possible winning run at second base. Here's the pitch. Lofton swings. Line drive, base hit right field. Here comes Bell, rounding third, heading home. Here comes the throw, and it's outside. We're good. And the Giants have won the pennant. The Giants are the champions of the National League, and they come pouring out of the dugout. Kenny Lofton, the man they love to hate in St. Louis, knocks in the winning run and knocks a stake through the heart of the Cardinals. And the city has never won a World Series, and, and off you guys go with an opportunity to change that. What, what was life like in San Francisco at that time? Oh, it was great, man, because it was, you know, it, I mean, we were the we were the toast of the town. New ballpark, best player in the game, uh, one of the best teams in, in, in baseball. I mean, it was great that the city really, really embraced what we were doing as an organization. And I, what I mean by that is from day one of opening that ballpark to game one of, or game whatever, three of the World Series when we got home to play our first game there. I mean, it was electric. The city was electric. And, uh, you know, and, and even, you know, covering the teams, you know, recently that had won the World Series and being there and feeling that energy, again, it just brings back a lot of those, those memories, but your experience of your experience of differently as a broadcaster than you are as a player. Uh, you know, nothing hinges on what I say on TV, but a lot hinges on what I did on the field back then. So uh, it was a little more prick back then. But um, yeah, the city was just totally behind us, and you know, supported us one thousand uh, percent. And they always have, or in good years and bad. Um, in that World Series, there's a moment I want to spotlight. You, it's Game Four. You guys are you're down two games to one, and you're trailing three to nothing in the fifth inning. Woody uh, leads off yep. that bottom of the fifth right with the swinging bunt, and then Lofton gets the actual bunt. <laughs> and so you got two guys on, and and no one's really hit the ball very far. But but you're the guy that comes up next mm-hmm. and gets the team finally on the board. What do you think that hit? meant in momentum for the entire series well i think and i'm and I'm trying to remember i can't really remember if it was if it was washburn that was pitching at that time for the angels in game four but we were down three nothing and again you down two games to one three nothing mid game i mean woody woody was throwing a really really good game i mean but again we had not made any kind of or done any kind of damage and you know you, you said it yourself you look at that inning Woody hit a number off the end of his bat thank God Woody has some athleticism and he beat it out to first and then Kenny laid down that bunt that actually rolled foul and they picked it up when it rolled back fair um, yeah. right on the line and I remember coming up and I'm like okay in my mind I'm like the only thing I can't do right here is hit into a double play Otherwise, it's fine. Barry's coming up with first and second, and even if I strike out or whatever. But I got a pitch I could handle up and away, and I hit a, I hit a line drive to right center field and, you know, and got us on the board. And, uh, you know, I, my memory fails me right now, but I, I think we scored some more that inning. And, uh, you did? I think we ended, up, we ended up winning by a pretty 
good margin, I think. I'm not quite sure, but um, well, that was the yeah. game. No, you won. You won four to three. Uh, okay, David, David Bell got the, the late hit to, to break the tie, and it was. You started a three-run rally off of John Lackey in the, in the fifth there. That, it was Lackey. That's who it was, yeah. Which, yep. you know, which, you know, was our first uh, – we saw him earlier in the, in the series in Anaheim, and then uh, which helped us, I think, when he was in there and we saw him again. But, yeah, I do remember David Bell now getting at base six because I want to say it was off that uh, Francisco Rodriguez who came up that year and just, like – was lights out out of their bullpen in September, and nobody had ever heard of this guy before. Um, so, yeah, I do remember that now. Yeah, 4-3 win, and, you know, we, we even things up. And then you homered the next night as part of a blowout victory. You guys are leaving Pac Bell Park up three games to two. Um, I remember being there that night, and the feeling in the crowd was they're going to go do it. And I, mm-hmm. I wonder what you guys are all feeling at that moment. Oh, we, I mean, we're basically like, Hey, we were just down in Anaheim for two. All we need to do is win one of these games. Let's just get it out of the way. Let's win game six and, you know, come home for a parade. I mean, that's basically the mentality going in. And, uh, you know, we, we, you know, we knew what lied ahead of us, man. We, we knew what we were in store for. And, uh, you know, and you, you go back and you watch. I mean, again, we had the five-run lead late in the game. I mean, we were we were on top. And, and I'll tell you, it was the only time in the whole my whole career that I played with Jeff Kent was I think he homered early in that game. And it was the only time I'd ever seen any emotion on the field out of Jeff Kent, where he hit that ball and he looked in our dugout. And he started pumping his fist, and I'm like, oh, man, this, like, we've never seen this out of this guy before. This is something, like, we're going to win. Like, we're going to win this. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and Russ Ortiz was throwing a phenomenal game. I mean, I, you know, you fast forward to that seventh inning. I mean, I think at the time Russ got pulled, um, I think he had given up four hits, and three of them were like, one was a broken bat. One was an infield single. Like, nothing was solid. And, uh, you know, I remember. I remember he had 92 pitches. And uh, they came out and, you know, basically kind of got him out of there and, and got us to a position that we had wanted to get to, where we had our three relievers set up to go seventh, eighth, and ninth and, and walk away with that victory. Yeah. Yeah, amazing the way it all played out. You know, Rich, you're you're so synonymous with the Giants. Uh, I wonder um, after the 2003 season, how odd was it to put on a different uniform? It was really odd. It was really odd, uh, especially in the sense that I never wanted to leave. Um, I wanted to spend my whole career in San Francisco, and you know, unfortunately, the way the game has changed into you know, even at that time, a business and, you know, it, it, you don't see it a lot anymore and you didn't see it a lot back then. Um, so to, to basically kind of, you know, and, and I was coming off a year in 03 um, where I didn't have a terrible year, but I didn't have a great year and I had some eye issues um, and, and no excuses. I mean, just whatever, it just wasn't a great year. And, um, you know, as a professional, it was a little disheartening. I didn't even, I wasn't even made an offer. 
uh, by a team I played for for eight years at that point. So, yeah, you know, it kind of hurts your feelings a little bit. And, you know, you move on and you try and go to a try and go to a place where you feel like you have a chance to win at that point in your career. And uh, at that point, that's what I thought Seattle was going to be. They had a great team on paper. They had a great team the previous years. And uh, you know what? You, you get there and some things, sometimes it's <laughs> – that team on paper doesn't work out to, on the field the same way. Uh, but in turn, how would you describe the opportunity three years later to uh, to come back and, and return to the Giants? Well, it was, I mean, honestly, it's the way I wanted to finish my career. I wanted to finish there where I started, where uh, the fans and the city and um, that ballpark, you know, and, and, and even the front office people and the people that work there, they mean so much to you. I mean, I still go to that ballpark today, and it's still the same ushers that were there, you know, when I was playing there. Uh, so, you know, it, it was a, a big thing for me. And I remember when the free agency hit in uh, the fall of 06, and I just finished having two pretty solid years with the Reds. But not as in, I wasn't an everyday guy. I probably played like 75% of the time. And uh, put up some decent numbers. And I remember the um, the first day of free agency, the first call we got, my agent got, was from the Giants. And they made me a two-year offer. And I didn't even negotiate. I said, yeah, I'll take it. I want to go back there. <laughs> and uh, so that, that's what I did. And, you know, and you know, I look back now and I try and – I try to look back at it as a as a as a a great point in my career because I got to experience being you know one of the leaders and watching guys come up like Buster and Bum and Timmy and Matt Cain and all these guys who came through there who you know what next thing you know these guys are the are the cornerstones of this franchise and they win three world series. And, you know, you like to think at some point, like, Hey, you know what, as a veteran guy on that team, like myself, Randy, Wynn, Dave Roberts is on that team. I like to think we had a, maybe a, just a little bit to do with the success they had once we were all gone and they won that championship. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to October 1st, 2009. Your last day with the Giants is your last day playing ball. What did that day feel like? Um, you know, it's funny because, like, I knew that was the last home game. And I knew I, I wanted to play one more year, but I knew it was not going to be for the Giants. I, I just knew because of the way the way 09 was handled with my playing situation and the guys they had coming up. And then, like, you know, you just kind of know – like that it's not going to be there. You still think you can contribute, but it may not be there. So, you know, I come to the ballpark that last day, and uh, Boach, who I played for in San Diego in 04 for a little bit, who I'd known for a while, um, I walk into the ballpark, and he goes, it's a day game, I think it's probably like on a Thursday. And he goes, hey, do you, do you want to play today? And I'm like, what? What do you mean? Do I want to play? I haven't. You haven't started me in like six weeks. What do you mean? Do I want to play today? Uh, he goes, well, you know, I know it's your last game, and he goes, well, they got Dan Heron going, and I'm like, coach, man, I'm like, yeah, of course I want to play. I'm like, I don't care if they 
have Randy Johnson going today. I want to play him, man. This is probably my last opportunity here to put on this uniform and play in this ballpark, and uh, of course I want to play. So, uh, so I did. I played first base that day, and um, I want to say I think Timmy pitched, maybe. And uh, I know I didn't get a hit, but I drove in a run. I think we won four to one or something. But um, you know what? What I do remember is. Uh, you know, I came, I, I hit in the, every at-bat was like tipping your helmet, you know, the fans are standing out. It was really, really an emotional day. And, uh, yeah. you know, I remember making the final out, I think, in the bottom of the eighth, okay, or, or one of the final outs. And Ron Wotus came up to me, who was my double-A manager back in the day in Shreveport for the Giants, so I've known him forever. He goes, hey, Boach wants to know, do you want to come out now? Or do you want to take the field, throw the ball around the infield, and then we're going to make a pitching change anyway, and we'll pull you out then so that you can kind of take in your last you know, time on the field? I'm like, yeah, I said I would really appreciate that. So I went back out on the field and threw the ball around. And uh, I remember and I remember this like it was yesterday. I'm like, I have to wear my sunglasses out there because I know I'm going to start crying. Like I, yeah. I got, I got covering my eyes up. Um, so I did, and then Boach came out. And the weird part was, the pitching change they made was to bring Randy Johnson in for his last appearance in the big leagues. They brought him in the ninth <laughs> inning because uh, he was done. He was hurt. And he was done. So like, I'm walking off the field, and Randy's coming in from the bullpen, and you know, all your teammates, your infielders are there coming up and giving you a hug. And, you know, you've got all these people on their feet. And you, you walk off the field. I was crying like a baby. And then you got your teammates pushing you back out on the field for the fans, you know. And, and we've seen it, you know, recently with some guys like Kane and Asselt. And, and I don't think there's another emotion. I don't think there's a way to explain how you feel going through that emotional uh, scenario. And, uh, and I remember it. I mean, it was, it was a great day. And I remember after the game, um, you know, Peter McGowan came down to say hi to me, who I hadn't seen in a while, and a lot of the ownership group. And, uh, you know, and then then the funny thing is, Mark, I thought I was done. I was like, I'm done. Like, we're out of the race. You know, we're going to San Diego for the final three games. I'm like, all right, I get a three-day vacation in San Diego. Bochain, he's not going to play me down there. And uh, we get to the last day of the season. And we go extra innings, and it's like the 13th inning. And Boach is like, hey, I told you you were done, but you think you can maybe lead off the next inning for me against this guy? And I'm like, and I said, Boach, you know what, man? I said, it, it ain't going to matter if I end this year hitting 228 or 222. Sure, I'll get my bat and I'll go up there. And I hit like a, a line. I lined out the center in my last step bat, and then, I, I do remember um, – I remember taking some time out in the dugout when the game was over. We won the game. I think Pablo hit a home run or something. But uh, I took some time out there and just to be by myself. And uh, Mike Murphy, our clubhouse manager, who's, I mean, one of my best memories of playing for the Giants is just being around that guy every day. Um, he came out and sat next to me for a little bit and, you know, just said like his his – you know, 
little statements, you know, saying, hey, we're going to miss you, and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, but by the way, your whole team is waiting for you inside. They're, they're not taking their mm. stuff off until you get someone. Some of the older guys, like Randy Wynn and Aaron Rowan was there at the time. And uh, I think we had Brad Tenney that year. I mean, they really honored me very nicely in that clubhouse, you know, after the last game of the season. And, uh, again, it's just one of those memories I'll never forget. Rich, you deserve it all, and uh, this has been uh, an absolute blast. Honored to have you do it. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, Mark, no problem, man, and uh, keep up the good work, buddy. Thanks so much for listening to Inside Giant Moments, presented by Oracle. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review and share the podcast with your friends and family. For more exclusive conversations, subscribe to the Inside Giant Moments podcast, presented by Oracle now. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.